This is The Hindu on Books, a weekly podcast from India's national newspaper on the latest and the best from the world of literature. A warm welcome to all our subscribers. The Hindu's Books Podcast, a new weekly initiative will bring authors their books and our discerning readers a bit closer and i am kc vijaykumar sports editor of the hindu opening the series is our freewheeling chat with mr ramchandra guha who's a historian academician social anthropologist environmentalist and above all an old world lover of cricket in the true sense his latest book the commonwealth of cricket is a remarkable effort juxtaposing his life with his abiding love for cricket So welcome to the opening podcast of the Hindu Books. It will be a weekly uh, affair from henceforth. Good. And to use a cricketing analogy because we're going to talk about a lot of cricket today. Yeah. Uh, hopefully we'll be the openers to provide a solid start for this episode. Okay, let's see. Thank uh, you. Before we dive in. Yeah. Uh, I want to read a part of your preface to Spin and Other Turns. Yeah. A book you wrote in 1994. Yeah. The success of an artist is quickly ascribed to the manipulation of passion and the market of the politician the manipulation of the public or ballot box but those who successfully manipulate bat and ball arose only wonder i myself tried and failed to bowl a late out swinger from the edge of the crease and tried and failed to hit a dipping leg break on the rise over extra cover watching kapil dev carry off one or the other i've gloried unashamedly in, a, in the achievement to fail at art or politics is to embitter one for life to fail on the cricket field is to marvel at those who don't so i mean having read this extract i just want to ask you when you started writing the commonwealth of cricket your latest book on cricket did you still have that sense of wonder uh, or or was there a bit of cynicism that crept into you well while watching cricket per se this is a sense of wonder so you know you're watching before uh, joining this podcast i was watching the second day of uh, the third test at sydney and to see yeah. nathan lyon who is an artful off spinner much better off spinner than i ever was you know uh, bowling to rohit sharma who's a magnificent player of spin bowling but is trying to establish himself as a test batsman so the yeah. drama the intensity the skill on both sides there's still a sense of wonder the cynicism was you know temporary when i was uh, Uh, involved in trying to clean up indian cricket and failed as uh, part of the committee of administrators employed by the supreme court but when yeah. i watch a two young cricketers play uh, yeah. uh, match their skills against one another you know steve smith against J- jaspreet bumrah was earlier this uh, today today right now it's it, it's uh, <coughs> shubman gill versus lion or so that sense of wonder is still there because you know uh, cricket in me excites my aesthetic side you know a lovely cover drive uh, a off spinner who has a sense of drift a great catch taken at short leg so that sense of wonder remains at great when great cricketing skills are demonstrated in front of me by somebody else va va as they say in hindustani music that sentiment is very much there within me so i know you have a huge body of work in terms of it's just not cricket i mean politics anthropology environment 
Uh, is that the reason why we have these staggered gaps between your cricketing books? You have Wickets in the East in 1992, Spin and Other Turns in 1994, The Picketer Book of Cricket in 2000, A Corner of a Foreign Field 2002, which in fact Sharda Ugra wrote in India today as A Corner of a Foreign Field will become, and it's not even a professional risk to say this, a modern classic. There are bound to be comparisons with CLR James beyond a boundary. And now you have your latest, The Commonwealth of Cricket. I mean, the staggered gaps between your cricketing books is it something inevitable? Yes, because uh, you're right. I mean, you know, cricket is very much kind of a, a a weekend activity for me. Of course, I've watched it all my life. I played it. I followed it. But yeah. my the bulk of my professional writing is history, sociology, politics, uh, yeah. and the environment. And yeah. uh, this is, I mean, uh, after I wrote Corner of Foreign Field, which yeah. is a kind of blending of my professional training as a historian and my passion as a cricket lover, I wasn't really sure I would ever write a cricket book again. I mean, the occasional article, for example, if a great cricketer retired, I would write a tribute to that person. If someone died or it was a kind of anniversary, I would write the audience newspaper column. Hmm. But yeah. I, I, I actually thought Column of Foreign Field might be my last cricket book. But uh, okay. as I was living in Bangalore and I was watching my uncle, Dore, who is in many ways the hero hmm. of my new book, uh, uh, continuing yeah. his mentoring of young people, uh, I, and then yeah. of course I had this stint in this in, in the COA, so they all kind of fell together. The arc of my life as a cricket cricket fan lent itself to yeah. description and narrative in this kind of memoir, and I, yeah. I mean, I'm absolutely sure this is my last cricket book. I still watch the game, love the game, watch club cricket, Ranji cricket, Test cricket, but I have nothing really more to say now that I have okay. published this memoir. Okay, so. Uh, my next question is, I mean, there's a fine line of juxtaposing one's life with your passion. In this case, your passion is for cricket. Uh, and so in this book, the, the canvas is, it's about you in the realm of cricket, your own personal evolution. And there's also a reference to India, the way India has progressed or deteriorated. And there is a kind of a larger canvas. It almost has a kind of a feel of a, uh, I know it's, it's a bit of a pulp to say this, but you know, that the English movie called Forrest Gump, which starring Tom Hanks, it, it was not just about this introspective journey. It's also about a slice of American history. Uh, how did you manage this balance in your book? Where I mean, when, when there is a reference to the self in a book like this, it's a very thin line between being a genuine effort and probably, you know, uh, at an extreme way, slipping into megalomania. How did you keep the check and balance and then keep your eyes firmly focused on the game? So... Uh... This is only, it's mostly, this is partly a book about the cricket I've played, yeah. but mostly a book about cricket other people have played. Yeah. So, you know, there's a difference, there's a kind of a subtle difference between a memoir and an autobiography. Yeah. And autobiography is much more about yourself, your sentiments, your feelings, your achievements, mm. your failures. A memoir is about what you've True. seen unfold before your eyes, other people's experiences as you witness them. So since uh, this is not an autobiography, you know, it, it's actually a memoir. You know, in that sense, it's yeah. somewhat different yeah. from Sujit Mukherjee's wonderful book, which is actually entitled an autobiography of an unknown cricketer because there, that book has far more detailed descriptions of matches Sujit Mukherjee himself played for school or for college yeah. or for Bihar Narani Trophy. Uh, you know, I did some things. Um, so I deliberately did not want to write very much about my own cricketing days mm. per se, except what I observed. You know, so when you play as a young boy, what it means to go for practice three or four hours a day, to play a high level of competitive cricket, 
to see your teammates make the next grade to go on to play yeah. for the university or then for the Rani Trophy team. So it's really uh, a lifetime of cricket, but other people's cricket, as seen by me, mostly. So, I mean, uh, straddling parochialism of the micro kind, I mean, you love for Karnataka cricket and you're rooting for Friends Union Cricket Club. And then juxtaposing it with being the lone man standing up and applauding a retreating Javed Miandar during the 1996 World Cup quarterfinal at Bangalore's Chinnaswamy Stadium. Could sport be loved without the rigours of nationalism, but we do have our soft spots for our provinces and the local club? Well, I think um, excessive nationalism distorts your love for the sport. You know, um, uh, obviously, when you're younger, particularly, you want your country to win. I mean, my my nephews uh, who are in their 30s still want India to win all the time, right? And I can understand that, but I think excessive nationalism distorts your love for the sport. And I think... In some ways, provincial loyalties are more, uh, to, at least to my mind, yeah. less destructive because, you know, you're, it's, it's like India is an abstract concept. It's a very large country. I mean, you, one can't relate to the whole of it, but one can relate to Bangalore, KSCA, Karnataka, Bombay, Shivaji Park, and so on and so forth. So I've always yeah. had a, had a uh, you know... It's nice if India wins. When I was younger, India rarely won. Now India mostly wins. That's fine. That's you know that's part of India's emergence as a cricketing superpower. But yeah. uh, I was, I mean, I, I mean, the reason there's a chapter on there's a chapter on Pakistani cricketers is is a, in a sense it's a kind of political statement. I mean, it's mostly about yeah. their cricket. It's not about politics. But yeah. I think you know, uh, uh, and you know, if you look at uh, uh, cricketers themselves, Vijay, I mean, but. Uh, Gavaskar and Vasi Makram or Tendulkar and Inzawam, you know, they were they were they had deeply respected each other's gifts and achievements, you know. So uh, they, of course, when they played, they wanted to win. But I think, and it's only a sport. So why bring in destructive national rivalries into what is really only a sport? Okay. So you have a very anecdotal style of writing, and there's an easy elegance to it. Uh, and I say it with a lot of respect. I mean, I remember uh, many summers back discussing. With David Gaar about about his the allegations leveled against him was his lazy elegance, and then he said it's very easy for you guys to scribe to write about lazy elegance, but there's a lot of hard work behind it. I mean, look, I might make it, make it look easy, but it's never easy. I mean, it also reminds me of what Hasha Bhogle wrote once about Rohit Brajnath, saying he makes it sound very easy when you read his copies, but there's a lot of hard work. He sweats it, sweats it out on the page. Now, when I read your books, your columns. This anecdotal style, it's, it's as easy as you're probably taking a stroll to Koshi's for your favorite cuppa or probably going to the premiere of the good old days and having a chat with Mr. Shanbagh and, uh, you know, picking a book. Is this style innate to you or did you cultivate it? I mean, how did it come about? No, when I write about people, it, it you know, I, I sketch, the, uh, I try and present a portrait in words of what they're like, how they look, how they bat. What their what their personality is all about. So yeah. and uh, of course, if I'm writing about a larger issue like secularism or environmental degradation, then the columns will not be uh, you know so human. They'll be more analytical, you know, more uh, uh, and maybe somewhat more difficult to read because they're making more complex arguments. But when you're describing human beings interacting, I think you can you uh, you have to adopt uh, the narrative style that is best suited to it. Okay. So clearly, my and even even um, uh, this book, uh, my yeah. uh, new book, the yeah. style is 
chatty, anecdotal, intensely personal. Uh, whereas corner of a foreign field is, I hope, readable, but it's much more sociological and full of new historical material. So you know, it's yeah. not so much about. It's really based on evidence and research, and in that sense. Uh, yeah. probably uh, requires a little more effort from the reader uh, than this book would. So it, it really depends on the kind of book you're trying to write. And here, it being a memoir, it being about cricketers I've admired, played with, watched, uh, it had to adopt this kind of narrative style, which, was, which I felt was uh, best suited to this kind of material. Whereas if it was a social history of cricket, which is what Call of a Foreign Field is, you know, yeah. so you're writing about Palwankar Balu, you would have to write about the caste system and the forms of discrimination yeah. intrinsic to the caste system and, and the links between caste and politics. So uh, clearly that would have been a slightly more scholarly style in which that information is conveyed compared, okay. to, this, compared to this book. And so do all heroes have feet of clay or, or is it a trap that we push them into with our expectations? Like, for instance, a solid batsman should also voice his views on what's happening in the society. I mean, is that a kind of kind of superimposition of our expectations onto them? I mean, how do you... Well, I, for example, don't expect yeah. sports people to be activists. You know, if it okay. comes if it comes to you, <coughs> uh, if it comes to you naturally, as it comes to Bishan Bedi or to Michael Holding, that's fine. If it doesn't come to you naturally, it's not part of your personality, that's okay. But I certainly expect a certain moral standard from our cricketers, which is where they have failed me. The cynicism that you uh, referred to when we began this conversation was seeing close up the extraordinary conflicts of interest that Indian cricketers practice. Even today, some stuff has come about Virat Kohli and his endorsement of, you know, brands associated with the Indian cricket team. So, you know, I think a certain... Um, ethical conduct in your in your personal life, for example, not cheating, not claiming a catch when there isn't a catch, right? Or and so so I think these are. I mean, I don't expect them to be activists, but yes. I have certainly been yeah. disappointed in the amazing uh, capitulation of uh, our cricketers, uh, you know, to the politics of the ball, yeah. to their greed for money. All that is certainly disappointing. So, could you elaborate on the bit about how sport at large and cricket specifically unites us? I mean. There's this wonderful reference in this book of yours, you know, to a meeting of Pakistani fan on a metro train. I think you reach out and hold his bat and, yes, in yes, Europe. Yes. It's a wonderful anecdote. Could you just recall that for us? Yeah, so, you know, it, 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 this is a... Uh, this happened uh, 25 years ago. It was ni- 1995, I think. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I had gone to Copenhagen for an academic conference. Yeah. And I... Uh, the conference was on a Monday. I reached on a Saturday. On Sunday, I went to see a Davis Cup match. Sweden okay. was playing Denmark in a tennis stadium on the outskirts of Copenhagen. And as I, uh, as the match ended and I went to the suburban train station, I saw a man uh, with a bat from the subcontinent. I just picked up his bat as I would and, you know, played a shadow cover drive. This is what you would do when you see a bat. And of course, I was, in a sense, I was reliving the fantasies of my youth because I was already in my late 30s at this stage. I was 36 to 37. I had not played cricket for a decade. When I played, I was really a bowler and not a batsman. So it was kind of an unfulfilled fantasy. And then we got into the train and started chatting. And he turned out to be a Pakistani called Ali, who uh, was playing club cricket a little older than me, who had come to Denmark as a guest worker and stayed on and was living on social security and whose passion was cricket. So, you know, it was it was a just... Uh, I mean, I, I dearly wish... It's very, very unlikely that the Pakistani I met on that suburban train in, in Denmark will read my book. Maybe somebody okay. else will and communicate that experience to him, you know. But it was just, it was one of those ex- uh, encounters, most uh, unlikely and hence uh, 
memorable of encounters that in Denmark, which is not a cricket playing country, which is a football playing country, and a tennis and badminton playing country, yeah. you know, an Indian and a Pakistani uh, are chatting cricket uh, uh, because the Pakistani happened to be carrying a cricket bat since it just come from practice. Right now, so uh, I thought you know it's in fact the. Uh, an earlier draft of my book did not have this incident. Then I remembered it. And then when I wrote the chapter on Pakistan, I thought this would be an appropriate way. Uh, a recollection of that incident would be an appropriate way with which to uh, conclude that chapter. Okay. Sir, uh, the keen eye to not just celebrate uh, the Patodis, Bedis, Gavaskars, Kapil Devs and G.R. Vishwanath, but also to look at unsung cricketers like Palwan Kabalu in a corner of important field or the cricketers you knew during your formative years. Uh, at Dehradun, is it about a larger view that once a cricketer, always a cricketer? It doesn't matter at what level you played in. I think it's to do, uh, Vijay, with um, my training as a historian. You know, so of course, most recently I've written about Gandhi, who's the yeah. most famous of all Indians. But for the bulk of my professional life, yeah. I have written about lesser-known figures whom I thought uh, deserve to be rescued from obscurity. You know, so I wrote. When I wrote my first book, it was about peasant protest movements in the 19th century before the idea of environmentalism yeah. had been born. Here were peasants in Garhwal and Kumau defending the rights of forests against commercial exploitation by the colonial state. Well, the, my yeah. first biography before I wrote on Balu was about a brilliant maverick, was a book about a brilliant maverick dissident Englishman called Veria Elvin who had worked with Adivasis. So yeah. in my writings, I mean, my book on Gandhi is an exception. Uh, but even in India after Gandhi, I write about people like Fizo, Sheikh Abdullah, Anna Durai, about our yeah. first, uh, not so much about, uh, I write about Nehru, but I also write about our first chief election commissioner, who's a completely forgotten figure, Sukumar Sen, who laid the foundations of our modern electoral system. So yeah. I've always, in my professional work uh, as a historian, I've always had an interest in uh, bringing, bringing out of obscurity remarkable but now forgotten figures. And hence, you know, I had to write about Dore or about other uh, FECC cricketers or Palwankar Balu in my last book or even here, you know. I mean, you know, uh, there's an account of a, a match I watched between Hindu College and St. Stephen's College in the year 1974 in which Hari Gidwani got 180. Hari Gidwani was playing for Hindu College uh, and I say in my account of that match that yeah. it's the finest innings in a losing cause I've ever seen. And it yeah. so turned out that I was having a conversation after my book came out with Arun Lal, who was from my college, who played that match. And he remembered it as vividly. He said two things. He said, Hari Gidwani is 180. He, and he's played, of course, Hari, Arun Lal has played 16 test matches for India, yeah. many Ranji matches, much better cricket than me. He says... Even for me, who's played so much first-class cricket, that was the yeah. greatest innings in a losing cause. Yeah. And then Arun Lal goes on to say, Hari Gidwani was more gifted than me. He should have played for India and not me. <laughs> okay, so, you know, here's a recollection of a, a fabulous innings by a forgotten cricketer. I mean, outside of Delhi and Bihar, no one knows Hari Gidwani. I mean, Hari Gidwani, Madhi 65. Not, you know, but uh, that innings he played is still absolutely fresh in my mind. And uh, I thought I should write about it because these are some of the things that don't appear in, you know, uh, in standard narratives about Indian cricket. So I remember a long time back, you'd come down to Madras and then there was this Kemplas lecture and you, and you spoke about the, uh, the classic Tamil, Tamil family equation about the mama, the uncle taking his nephew under his wings. I mean, that's happened with you. Yeah. Your personal connect with Doreswami. Uh, 
could you just speak about that relationship i mean despite your recent different political views <laughs> yeah. how it has shaped you yeah, as a person and as a cricketer you know so uh, as i described in my book uh, my mother's brother doreswami uh, <coughs> had no children of his own and he was particularly close to me because i was the uh, child of his only sister and i showed some interest in cricket when i was young dore himself had a deformed right hand and had he had two uh, normal hands he would probably played cricket for india i mean he was that good and of course for many years as you know vijay uh, having lived in bangalore he's run one of bangalore's best clubs and yes. uh, my love for cricket really comes through him and of course also my sense of principle you know the reason i expect high standards of virat kohli and saurav ganguly is because i know that dore standards dore has upheld you know uh, yeah. you know uh, uh, league cricket in bangalore is also corrupt you know clubs can throw matches to allow somebody else to be promoted you know yes, uh, uh, clubs are bought and sold for crores of rupees there's yeah. intrigue and nepotism in how people are chosen uh, for teams and dore has never had any of that so you know my sense that cricketers must be held to yeah. a certain moral standard also comes from uh, my lifelong tutelage uh, which is now of course friendship with my uncle dore so okay. at just some stage uh, you know at some stage i thought i would uh would want to write about him uh, and okay. uh, i wasn't sure what form it would take but uh, when i joined uh, the coa uh, yeah. and after i left it i realized that there was a natural arc to a cricketing memoir a yeah. little boy in a cricketing backwater dehradun i mean i grew up in dehradun which is not yeah. bangalore or chennai or bombay really a cricketing backwater being introduced to the game through his uncle and from that you know ending up inside the bcci so uh, and of course dora is kind of someone who figures all through the book he's more dominant in the early chapters but even in the last chapter i talk about you know how our our, our relationship has survived our political differences because it's bound yeah. by a shared love of cricket and the aesthetics of cricket the morals of cricket you know and so on and so forth you know the kind of team building and character building that Uh, uh club cricket involves when you deal with young people and you mold them not only as sports persons but also as human beings which is what he's done uh so uh he is he is you know uh, i i kind of always thought i would like to and uh, write about him because you know he's a uh and he's not unique uh, vijay i mean uh, uh someone like kiki tarapur who was the bucc coach who ran it for many many years or in yeah. delhi people like gurcharan singh Uh, but yeah. those people have been written about because they produce test cricketers. You know, Kiki Tarapur produced a Rahul Dravid, Acheka produced a Tendulkar, and here is a, a kind of a, a person whose commitment to the game, whose uh, whose ability to nurture young people is also extraordinary. But of course, has not been written about. But it so turned out that <coughs> he was my uncle, and I was you know I'm a writer on cricket, and I thought I must somewhere. uh you know right uh, do justice to all that he's done for cricket in kannada uh, so you're the classic outsider for a long time i mean like say amukul keshavan and briefly you became an insider as you were a member of the committee of administrators which you eventually left and mm-hmm. one of which i mean you chronicle with angst in in this book what are the takeaways during that episode did it affect your deep rooted love for the game well temporarily it did with him you know mm-hmm. i as i said as i said in my book i always knew that um the cricket administration in india was corrupt and compromised and nepotistic but i never knew how spineless indian cricketers were you know the bulk of them i mean there are a few exceptions who my name in the book and i was clearly dismayed and disenchanted by that and uh, uh, 
but now I think I've just gone back to watching the game. I'm no longer there will ever be an administrator again. I'm just a fan, and uh, which is why I was in, before our conversation, I was watching this dripping battle between Nathan Lyon and Rohit Sharma and uh, Shubman Gill because you know uh, that to me is cricket. cricket. It's kind of it's just uh, it's, it's it's sport. It's technique. It's aesthetics. It's it's a contest, and uh, uh, I can just uh, glory in that. But it has been. I mean, I would not uh, clearly. I go back to being a fan. I mean, I'm not. Uh, you know, I'm not. Uh, I mean, I sort of uh, will just. Uh, when whenever the pandemic passes and there's the test match in Bangalore, I'll just buy a ticket and go and and watch it. Hope preferably the end stand because that has the best view of the game. So yeah, uh, that that's what it, what it is. Yeah, I mean the cynicism was there, but now okay. it's two. It's two and a half. It's almost. It's three years since I left uh, the board. So the, it's okay. gone. It's gone. The, those wounds are healed. Okay. So you've always been a connoisseur of test cricket. I mean, I remember in 1997, uh, you took a class for us at ACJ, uh, Asian College of Journalism. It was then in Bangalore. And you spoke about the cycle of lives in Hinduism, the karmic cycle and the seven lives. And you said, since we're used to a series of lives, I mean, what is five days of cricket as in test? I mean, it suited us very well I mean, in terms of our temperament. Uh, but with the advent of ODIs and especially T20s, uh, do you think that karmic cycles have been affected by what I would call uh, probably ingest? The two-minute noodlification of cricket. I mean, yeah. Uh, does it? Uh, I mean, in, in any, any way affect your perception? No, I think it's a very serious question. How long will Test cricket last? I mean, this is a great series going on in Australia, and yeah. I hope many people are watching it because of the quality of the cricket uh, on display and two yeah. evenly matched teams and uh, with lots of first-class players on uh, on both sides. Yeah. But uh, the cricketing public in India really wants the IPL. Yes. And uh, I am in a notable minority. People like Mukul Keshavan and myself are in a notable minority who do not watch the IPL. Right now, uh, but I've always yeah. believed that um, twenty cricket, twenty twenty cricket, while it may be exciting while it lasts, is entirely unmemorable. We, again, if I may, okay. if I may illustrate from the conversation I had with my former cap, college captain Arun Lal. And he yeah. was saying, he was saying in this conversation, which was about a month ago as part of the Kolkata Literary Festival, he said, you know, I agree with you that test cricket is, you know, you can recall it with great intensity, not just the whole match, sometimes a single session. So yes. I said, Arun, uh, just tell me, you played 16 test matches. Yeah. Uh, uh, that is uh, 90 days, three sessions a day, 270, 200 odd sessions, because some of the matches yeah. may be interrupted by rain or uh, may have finished early. Of these 200 sessions of test cricket, just tell us, the, the listeners, just remember one that stays with you. So he said, you know, there are many, but let me tell yeah. you one. In 1987, it was bitterly cold. It was a test match in Delhi in December and it was freezing. It was two degrees. The sky was overcast. Uh, we were sent into bat. I went into bat with Raman Lamba and I was really freezing mm. and there was Walsh and uh, Walsh and uh, Patrick Patterson and Winston Davis, three fantastic fast bowlers, and somehow I survived till lunch. Okay. And uh, I said, you know, uh, Arun, I was actually in the stands. It turned out I was in the stands that day. I mean, mm. this was long after we had been in college. I had lost touch with him. I just was happened to be in Delhi working the archives. I got a ticket and I watched that match. And I said, Arun, isn't that that match in which Sanjay Manjekar made his debut and got injured? You know, so a ball hit him yeah. on the chin. He said, yes. So I said, look, it's 33 years since that match. Exactly. You are describing it with such vividness as a player. 
and yeah. I'm describing it in such vividness as a spectator. Yes. Can sure. anyone remember what happened in the IPL match last month? <laughs> okay. Now, and you know, 33 years later, he as a participant in the match, me as a spectator, could remember so many details, you know, and yeah. sketch a whole portrait. And, you know, he said, I mean, it was an amazing match. What happened was, he said, we battled with lunch, it was a green track, very cold, but we got out uh, before tea, and luckily we got out before tea because there was still juice in that wicket. And the West Indies had a just a small lead of 30 or 40 because they also had to face, uh, you know, our bowling on that first day. There was Kapil Dev and some others. And then, of course, they, would have, they needed some two, West Indies needed 250 to win in the fourth innings. And they were about 80 or 90 for four. And then Vivian yeah. Richards came and smashed the bowling all over the place. Now, so it's, it was an extraordinary match that a player and a spectator could just you know, just gloriously recollect for for a, you know for over a period of half an hour, we could just chat about that match. Now you could you couldn't do that about IPL match played last month. Now, so that is what Test cricket is about. It's like a great novel, a great film, a great play uh, by you know uh, uh, yeah. where uh, you know, every act is different and it stays it's the it stays with you uh, all your life. Now. So, actually, for players and for spectators, not just for spectators, even yes. for players. So, okay. Test cricket will last Vijay, so long as the best players want it. The time okay. may come when the best players only want to play IPL and don't want to play Test cricket. And that's when yeah. you may see the end of Test cricket. So, at a conclude, Mr. Gusha, what's your idea of cricketing heaven? <laughs> no, no, my idea of cricketing heaven is a Test match. Uh, with okay. uh, even between bat, even even between bat and ball. I mean, okay. obviously, you know. Uh, uh, so, I mean, in my book, I quote uh, Jim Laker, who said, "My idea of heaven is lords in the sunshine, Ray Lindwall bowling at one end, and Bishan yeah. Bedi at the other." And you know, it could be uh, it could be Bumrah and Ashwin uh, versus Steve Smith and uh, David Warner. That is heaven. I mean, so two outstanding batsmen, okay. attacking batsmen against. A very gifted new ball bowler and a fine spin bowler. That's what we are watching. Uh, that's what we are watching in the series uh, now being played in Australia. So any yeah. test match, well contested, okay. or a wicket that gives bowlers an opportunity. That's not a flat batting track. Is heaven. Is cricketing heaven. Pleasure, Mr. Guha. I, I hope you revisit your stated desire of not writing any more cricketing <laughs> books. Uh, I mean, that will be tragic for all of us. Well, Thank see. you very much. Thank you, Absolutely. thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for listening to The Hindu on Books. You can now find The Hindu's podcasts such as InFocus and Parley on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other major platforms. Write to us with comments and feedback at SOCMED4, S-O-C-M-E-D-4 at the rate thehindu.co.in. 